Welcome to an all-new BJ Robbins Project. I'm your host, as always. I am joined by Mr. Doug Arnold, comedian. Um, we met, what, about three years ago, probably? Yeah, two, three years ago. Two thousand. I want to say 2017. Uh, I was at Kettle Top doing an open mic, and you were there. Yep. yep. And I was just like, you got up there, and then like he had some dad jokes. <laughs> Lots of dad jokes. And then you had a tornado joke yeah. you know, about Kokomo, right? Kokomo, yeah. Is that where you're from, Kokomo? Well, I live there now. I'm, yeah. I'm originally from San Francisco. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you, because I saw on your profile, because I have to stalk guests, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I was on there. So how old were you when you left California? I was 32. Why did you leave California? Well- Honestly, the cost of living That's what I heard. was so expensive. I had a good paying job. I did. I, I just got married. We had a baby. I had a good paying job. But even with a good paying job, unless my wife had a great paying job, we were gonna we couldn't afford a house in a bad neighborhood. Yeah, because now um, I, I worked in San Francisco. Well, I, I was actually working in um, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And then, you know, it's only like a, what, a couple-hour drive from the right. mountain. Yep. We would go down there, and and, and <clears throat> when we were there with my wife, I brought her out, um, flew her out for a, uh, three or four days. We were looking at, like, Zillow and what the houses were. Yeah. This is in 2012 or, or 2014. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, little houses that – Originally built and sold back in the fifties and sixties for ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars or a million, you know, and it's just ridiculous. And what happens is you end up just working your whole life getting sixty-year mortgages, and you never really own the house, or your parents have to give you the house, you know, or something like that. You have to inherit the money to be able to do it. So the opportunity came. Um, actually, I worked at a company in Palo Alto, and I was sent out to Livonia, Michigan, to go to a programming class on uh, what was called a coordinate measuring machine. It's a measuring device we use in manufacturing. And while I was there, I ran into a bunch of guys from Chrysler in Kokomo. And we started talking, we hit it off, and I started asking them about houses, and they said, well, you know, this house you could get for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Wow. And the pay that you get at Chrysler is the same as I was getting out there in Palo Alto. And I said, well, you know, I started researching and talked to him a little bit about it. I said, if you want to come to work here, let us know. You, I was already, you know, an eight-year journeyman in the trade. So bringing me in, hiring me was, you know, no problem for them. So I flew out, interviewed, got the job, went home, quit, turned around and moved back out, <laughs> moved the family out. So. And what year was that? That was in 87. 87. Yeah. And, yeah, because and and now, because is Chrysler, is it still in Kokomo? Oh, yeah. We got um, actually five facilities now there. We had the one, actually two. We had the main transmission plant and the casting plant right next to it. Now they've added an ITP one and two on the north end of of Kokomo. And then they added the, another facility down there in Tipton. So, well, that's actually four or five now. So, yeah. Because wasn't, wasn't GM there also? GM is across the street. The big GM facility okay. is across the street. Now, they've basically gone under there. There's nothing left well, there. Because I, I remember that. Because I remember that. So, how big was the culture shock going from San Francisco, which in, in the 80s, obviously, was the 60s right. or 70s, yeah. coming to Indiana? Yeah, it was it was different because, you know, the people were – they weren't backwards. People were intelligent. They, you know, but they were different. But I gotta admit, and people find this hard to believe. Actually, people were a lot nicer here than they are out there. People were a lot more open. 
I remember when I first first neighborhood I moved into, we were just moving in, and all of our neighbors from around us came over and introduced themselves. And all the guys started telling me, oh, look, in my garage, I got this tool. And if you need this, I got that, you know. And if you ever need any of these tools, I, you know, and everybody's showing me all their stuff. In California, it's more like, don't you even look at my garage or I'll shoot you. <laughs> Do you think that's the, the culture now, though, in 2000 and, and 2020, similar to the, to the California culture more than the 80s culture? Uh, maybe a little bit. Because, like, when I move yeah. in, I don't talk to my neighbors. I right. don't know I don't know why. Yeah. I know why because I moved, like, 27 times before I was age of 18. So, I right. didn't really know my neighbors. Right. But, like, because you see, one thing that uh, I was in a small town yesterday, Linton and Greencastle in Brazil. I was in right. those small towns. Oh, yeah. And, and you still see a lot of that friendliness. But, like, obviously, yeah. I live in Greenwood and spend a lot of time in Indy, and you don't see that. So, I think it's the neighborhoods or your neighbors. In my case, where I moved into, everybody around us was older, established Delphi people. You know, they were older couples. The kids had all moved out. So they saw us with our young kids, and they thought, oh, great. This is perfect. You know, and they came over, introduced themselves, welcomed us to the neighborhood. Now, you can go to some neighbors. They don't even want to look at you. So, you yeah. know, that's just normal. That's me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Like, yeah. I'm an eye. I'll wave at you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what did you miss most? Was there any kind of food that you well, got out there or anything? Well, actually, the ability to go to the beach – <laughs> or go to the mountains. I love the beach. I love the ocean. We'd go to Santa Cruz all the time growing yep. up. It was a like a 40-minute drive over the mountain, and we'd go in, we'd drop into Santa Cruz. That smell that you get in it really isn't a great smell, but I just that smell is like ingrained in my brain. So let's just smell it like, oh, every time I go back, you know, we'll go back there and we'll go to Santa Cruz. Just that smell just hits you, the kelp and whatever. <laughs> it, it was weirdest because I was in Lake Tahoe. It was 60 degrees. When we went to San Francisco, it was like 77 then we stopped in Sa uh, Sacramento to get some pizza on the way back, and it was like 82. Yeah, yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Sacramento could be just so freaking hot along that whole Central Valley there. Turlock, Modesto, Sacramento, you know. But Lake Tahoe's beautiful, but even millionaires moved out of Lake Tahoe. Yeah, the, when I was the there. The billionaires ran them out. <laughs> yeah, when I was there, I was there during January, February, March, so obviously it was off-season yeah. except yeah. for um, the – snowboarding was still big in the yeah, skiing, the skiing yeah. and everything heavenly valley which is right there that's one of the biggest places there because the way that we had to take to san francisco was the back side of the mountain mm -hmm. instead of because there's a front side and that takes you to reno but then that's a longer drive right. but the i remember the locals saying hey if you take this back way be careful it's a lot of like narrow roads and i was like all right what i was like i grew up in indiana whatever yeah. you know i grew up and, and i was like hold these roads are they were sketchy. Yeah, because you're going straight up and down here. It's, you know, the snow driving. You get used to it. There you get in the snow, and it's it's frightening. Yeah, yeah. it was snowing. Then we got down here. It was like 80 degrees. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so. I mean, did you live in California your whole life before you moved in when you were 30s? I, no, I was born and raised right there in the Bay Area. Uh, my father was in the Navy, and he was stationed at um, right there at Moffett Field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, we got a house right there in Cupertino. Um I never moved. You know, I got to stay in the same house my whole childhood, which that, was great. That's awesome. Did you grow up a big Giants fan? Uh, Giants. Uh, I like the A's, uh, 49ers, and the Raiders. Kind of more Raiders than anything because we, they had Kenny Stabler, and I thought he was really cool. <laughs> yeah, because I was I wonder. I don't, because uh, I had another friend that I knew that moved from California, and I said, well, why? And I was like, why'd you move? The weather's beautiful. He's like, just couldn't afford to live there. Yeah. I mean, he's like, I make. The same amount of money here. He's yeah. like, I live in a three hundred thousand dollar house. 
there he goes i lived in a, like a forty-five thousand dollar house rental house if that you were was lucky yeah it was in the worst neighborhood and really the overpopulation got me because you couldn't go anywhere and just go to the store comfortably you know like you say oh i'm going to go over to kroger's and get something you couldn't do that because the traffic and the people and it was just so congested and it was difficult i'd actually come home and my wife's sitting there crying because she tried to go to the store and it was just so hard on her so you know we come here now and it changed our lives it really did it was so much better to live here regardless of the snow and the weather and you're in the midwest oh, midwest that they do what well, there's plenty to do yeah know? i mean and the weird part is is and i have friends that are like hey do you how often do you go downtown i was like i never <laughs> like that's i mean i live in greenwood there's yeah. i mean there's so much stuff to do around here yeah so and you're retired right yeah how long have you been retired uh two years and three months <laughs> how is that and that's one thing I want to, I, I want to interview you is because, like, he is retired. How did it feel the day you retired? It was great because it was, you know, it was for – it wasn't like one day I just said I'm gone. For the last year working there, I knew I was done. You know, mentally, I was just exhausted dealing with what I had to deal with. I, I didn't care anymore, and that – that's not me. I was always a very involved person. I was an engineer there. I was always involved. I was passionate about what I did. I would argue with plant managers down to the guy on the floor. I didn't care. I would fight my fight yeah. and try to get what I felt was the best thing, best quality for our product. And that was the most important thing to me. Um, but I got to the point where I stopped trying. And guys would actually go out of their way to try to just fuck with me. Say, you know, oh, well, I'm going to do this. I said, fine, go ahead. And they're like, well, wait a minute. That's not you. you. You usually get upset. I said, I don't give a fuck. Go ahead. Do it. You're the one who has to live here now. My pension's set. You should be worried about yours. And, they, you know, so I just, I gave up. What did you do there? I was a quality engineer. So I was in engineer. I was in what they call layout metrology. We measured parts with computerized equipment on surface plates and high you know tolerance um, instruments so we would measure the parts and make sure they were right that's the most basic way to put it so we can blame you for shit not being right well no we would tell them it was wrong and then, they go, <laughs> and then the other engineers would say ah you know that'd probably be okay we could live with that but don't let them make any more like that just shove it in there yeah the biggest problems we ever had was really like a when we launched a new product, like when I first came there where they were launching what the 604 transmission. This is our new electronic transmission, and it was going to be the beauty. You know, this was everything. And all of a sudden, we had these real serious problems. They were, um, I mean, blowing up after like less than three, 4,000 miles. Oh, wow. And they were replacing them for free. Just, and it almost put us out of business till they found the problem. And it's just a stupid problem where they – Bypassed a process where they were supposed to wash this one annulus gear out and had chips in it. The chips were getting out until it got into the transmission. Then it would float around and tear up the gears. Wow. So it was just stupid stuff like that. And the people who did it knew they did it, but they knew better. And that was that's the problem with a lot of these manufacturing. All the guys know better than you do. And they usually get shoved up their ass when they're done. <laughs> Now, um, you worked at Chrysler, right? Right. What was your, what, are you a car guy? Not necessarily. Was there, was there a certain car? Cause you spent what, 30, was it 30 years there? 30 years, yeah. Was there a car they came out like, hey, is there a new car? And you're like, wow. Well, Challengers I always loved. Yes. I had a Challenger as a kid. What Before year? I ever, it was a 71. 
Well, and then that had was it the one that had the I was, those came in? in I, hand, I just hand. had I just had a three eighteen in three eighteen. I didn't have the big engine in it. Yeah, but three eighteen still enough to get you in trouble. Oh yeah, yeah. Three eighteen <laughs> for me, it was more than enough. Yeah, I was you know. I drove a SRT the other day. Uh-huh. Holy, or actually, let me back up. When they first came out, I, I worked for Seven Eleven and I traveled the United States, so I was a gold member of. Um, uh, rental car places uh enterprise and, oh yeah <laughs> and the other one they own so when i get off the airport and everybody else is up the counter trying to get their car i just walk by the assholes and i just go pick whatever car i want it's so whatever new car came out i yeah, would have oh, yeah. so i had a challenger when it first came out uh-huh. a charger um and then i remember driving that thing and then it was the one had the hemi in it and i i, I think i turned it in the next day and i was like because i was in texas <laughs> there was a part in texas in between dallas and austin that has no speed limit yeah, down thirty five. Yeah, yeah, I know that road. It's like I'm not, I'm not a scary person. I don't get scared easy. Maybe I do. I don't know. But I got scared because I was like, man, I'm doing like one fifty, and I'm yeah. like, this is fun. I was like, I got a wife and two kids. Yeah, I, I was yeah. heading to see my wife, and I was like, I need to slow down. <laughs> but Challenger was one because you got to see what, which is pretty cool. Is is not calling you old, but you got to see the beginning one and then the new one. Yeah. And was there any other cars like the Challenger that came out? Well, the Viper was obviously the... I drove one of those. Yeah, the Vipers were really cool. I got to drive one just very locally, um, not much, just kind of around, and I was scared to freaking death. You know that's the most wrecked car? Oh, yeah. Because it's just it's a a go-kart with way too much engine. Within the first mile of owning it. Oh, yeah. I worked at Fletcher's in Franklin down there. (laughs) So, and they trusted me because I'm not an idiot. So, like, if somebody would buy a certain car, they'd be like, hey, we want you to fill this up and take it. So, I got to drive the the Bumblebee Edition, the oh, SRT8. Yeah. Um, and, and I drove a Viper truck, um, six-speed, which, I mean, that was weird, though, driving it six-speed. Um, but I've always been a Dodge and Chrysler guy. Right. I always have. I have a Jeep. Um and I know they're called Daimler, Chrysler now. Daimler. Daimler. It was Daimler. It's not anymore. They're Juice, out. Juice, I don't want to hear about me saying a word wrong again, please. He go, <laughs> he he'll text me like, "This is how you <laughs> say, say it. the word." No, but they're gone. They're gone now. Yeah, that was Mercedes. They came in for a short time and then they're out now. Now it's Fiat Chrysler. Yeah, and, and Daimler's out. We don't do anything. We have nothing to do with. They raped and pillaged and walked away. They tried to put us out of business the best they could. So, did you ever have a Plymouth? Did you ever did you ever buy a I don't Plymouth? think I ever had I don't think any of my minivans were Plymouth. I had a lot of minivans. I had <clears throat> um I had a God, I forgot the name, the little car, the um PT Cruiser? No, no, the one before that, the little Ah, shoot, I forgot the name of it. But um we had one of those for the wife and the kids. They drove that thing around and it was a it was a five speed transmission and that which was very cool. The girls got to learn how to shift and everything. Neon. neon. The Dodge Neon. Yeah. Who did not have a Dodge Neon? Oh, what a great car. My wife had one. I loved our neon. That thing was that was the best little workhorse car in the world. And Daimler comes in and says, that nah, we're not making enough money and cancels it out. That was the stupidest thing they could ever do. You know done. why? Because they were lasting too long. Oh, and they got great mileage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that, uh, that thing went through two girls, or three girls. My wife had it, then my oldest daughter drove it to college, then my youngest one got it, and she finally buried it. But it took a lot of beating to put that car down. We uh, we have a Dodge Caliber uh-huh. that's 287,000 miles Oh, on yeah, yeah. Because they put the flywheel in it, right? 
and they didn't put it in too many other cars and they should have because i know it's a four banger and it's like a 1.7 liter right yeah. i don't know a whole lot about cars i just know about the ones i have that thing will run forever oh yeah and then um and so and they even put it like an s they even did a sport package on one of those i couldn't even imagine <laughs> i drove one once um so no because I, I it's it's awesome me someone that's retired so when you retired did you do a bucket list as soon as you retired or did you just like say or did you just like do nothing no um i we went to aruba Ooh, i wanted to go somewhere for a trip so we went to aruba you might try to sell you cocaine there what's that they might try to sell you cocaine there no see i went no, on, I went on my i went on my first cruise and that's why everybody kept telling me like hey if you go to certain islands they're gonna try to sell you drugs and i was right. like okay and I, they did. Like, every person tried to sell me drugs. Well, I mean, look at me. I mean, yeah. nobody's going to try to sell me drugs. Some old you, white-haired guy. Well, you, know? you look like a detective. Yeah, I, there I, you go. I, yeah. I, He's a cop. Don't do <laughs> Now, I, when I got married, um, back, God, I'm going to say the wrong year now, 83, we went to Hawaii. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, every foot i took somebody wanted to sell me some weed and i wanted some so bad but i stopped smoking weed when i got married and i heard yeah. that they set you up there that they'll sell no, you weed what, and they'll get you arrested that's what they said about nassau where yeah I was. then they want they'll just basically yep. rape you for some money then they'll let you go yeah i didn't take you i didn't have enough money with me so what part of hawaii was you in i was on the uh, uh oahu we went to honolulu Honolulu, that's it. We we were at state. Uh, we stayed right there. So there's Diamond Head, and you yeah, come around. We stayed right, right there. That's where we stayed. Now we went to uh, Pearl Harbor. Oh, that's brutal. I went there. Yeah, the, <laughs> that was the funniest. We went there, and you know, of course, they give you the big movie, right? At the yeah. beginning, you're in the theater. Yeah, we're sitting there, and. And of course, in the th- and obviously there was like two thirds of the people in there were Japanese. That's what I said. Yeah. And they were all watching it, and there's some good old boy. And I had to figure he was from Indiana because he had bib overalls on. He did not like the fact that the Japanese were in there, and he starts yelling and cussing, and I'm cracking up. And that's <laughs> and that's during the '80s, where not I mean PC culture in yeah. 2020 is different than yeah. the '80s. There's some dude standing up in '83 saying F you. screaming, "Yeah, get well, these Japs out of here!" Well, and that's what I said to my wife. I was just in, and I don't know why. And I was just like, "Man, there's so many Japanese people here." She's like, "Well." On the other side, this is one of the closest vacation spots to go For to. Them. I was like, "Yeah, but what if they don't know the history of what they did here?" And and then, oh, they're aware of it. I mean, they're well, very well aware. Few of it. weren't when they walked out yeah. because when they walked out, because the guy who actually was doing the speech that day was Japanese, Japanese American. Oh, okay. He was there at Pearl Harbor, Japanese American. Then they, did you go out on the boat? And they were like, "Hey, yeah. and I'm just like." yeah i'm like steph like i don't know if this is a gr- this is it was awesome but i was like yeah. i don't want to do anything the rest of the day yeah like i was depressed it was, because- it was depressing yeah it's like going to washington dc going to the holocaust museum yeah we did that i walked out of there going oh god <laughs> well that was a cheery butt let's go get drunk now <laughs> <laughs> so and then um after you retired and obviously we met at kettle top so you started doing comedy right right um about six months before i got out of there I kind of felt like I had to do something. Yeah. I had to do something to keep my mind busy because I figured, you know, you can only golf so much, you know, and the I did. cliche didn't... stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you got to do something. And I always loved comedy. I was always, since I was a kid, I was in love with Abbott Costello, 
uh, Smothers Brothers, any of that stuff. I loved it. Robin Williams, I saw him live right after Mork and Mindy out in San Jose. Just the greatest show. Dana Carvey, I saw him in San Francisco at a club before he was famous, you know. So, you know, I always was following comedians. I always loved comedy. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just try to – and I'd heard some guys talk about open mics and stuff, so I thought I'd go try one, you know, and I tried to write three minutes of material to go do it. What was your first um – Mike that you went to it was over in um lafayette at mom's okay oh oh what a dive that, yeah how'd the first time go for me yeah it was i it was just like i just sit there and just you know my brain was just on fire you just this is because that's not my comfort zone that is way out of my comfort zone doing something like that and i just spoke 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 that's blah, 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 what i did and then i was done i just went oh yeah I'm done. great i did it i felt like sex the first time you just <laughs> yeah, want to get it over yeah, with. you weren't worth a shit at it but yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like let's try it. all right next time i'll be better i'll be better next time yeah. i always tell this i've said this many times like i was more nervous more nervous doing my first stand-up uh first open mic than i was in my father's eulogy oh that's how that i mean yeah. I, I was i was over there and i was with one of my good friends uh jeremy and he goes you okay and i was like am i still breathing yeah and, and it's just because you're just so afraid of oh yeah somebody else just looking at you like i don't know and i bomb i've bombed before a couple of times at, since i started doing it which is no big deal but the first time you do it and then people are staring at you and you know and i was with kyle buck which was good because kyle's you know, oh yeah you got a buddy there yeah and yeah. then you know kyle's very supportive and but and then so how long so you you've been doing it what through almost three years three now. years now yeah, it's become three years here in march april and so now you're to the point where and you said but who was one of your big influences though like watching from where you start you start watching comedy very young right because i know some other well, it wasn't that. so much stand-up comics in those days it was jerry jerry lewis type it was you know um tim conway type comedy johnny carson was the monologue guy and you'd watch carson to see stand-up comedians come in yeah but it was more into the sketch type comedy that i watched i just loved the humor of it the way it was you know yeah because i remember watching smothers brother reba runs oh yeah and yeah. then obviously jerry lee lewis Evan costello love who's on first yeah um but was there somebody that like that had an influence on kind of your style at all well, I would probably say more so it happened much later. Nobody early because I wasn't doing comedy back in those days. But I think if I would go back, I'd say I'm more like a Johnny Carson doing a monologue yeah. type person. That's more like how my it's a you know it's a you know a premise, a setup, and a punchline. I'm very you know regimented in that way. And maybe because I came from an engineering background and everything was. Everything was spelled out in great detail on exactly what you're going to do. And so I, that mindset goes into my comedy, too. So I studied comedy. I took a, like four different classes on comedy, how to do it, how to write, how to perform, how to organize your jokes, different things like that. And local guys like Dave Dugan, who, you know, Big Bob and Tom guy, yep. I've watched him several times. And he's probably the guy I try to emulate the most. Very smooth, very cool. Um, Mark Klein, a guy down from uh, Louisville, very good comedian. I mean, these guys could lock in and just do 70 minutes and not bat an eye. Like the old school days. And yeah. They, they could and just go on and on. And they could just go and they could just, you know, there's four or five laughs per minute. And it's just going and it's just going. And, and it all has a, a beginning and an end. You know, it, it's a storyline. And they take you across this journey and at the end just drop you off and – and that's how I, you know, my my mind works when I write and set up my set list. 
Yeah, and that's one thing that's is what is your right and that's one thing I always ask. I mean, is what is your writing process? Is it still pad and paper, your phone or uh yeah, you know, it started off pad and paper, you know, I was doing a lot on the phone. Now actually it is on the uh, laptop. Okay. Yeah, I'm right because I'm at home. So a lot of guys got to do pad and paper because they're at work and they're mm-hmm. doing this. And they get an idea, they got to jot it down. Well, I'm at home. And my ideas come at early in the morning. I wake up and I uh, – so I get up in the morning. I get my coffee and I just I just put – I got this one word page where I just throw down ideas. This, this, this. And then if I can make a joke out of it, I can construct a joke out of where I got the premise set up, punchline. Okay. Or I write tags to existing jokes. You know, jokes about Kokomo. Jokes about getting old. Um, you know, different things like that that I could just add on. And like – Probably same thing happens to you. Things happen in life that all of a sudden you just go, oh, shit, this this is going to be a great joke. And it just comes out, you know. Yeah, because I watched you like when you first started, like 2016 or whatever. Right. And then I saw you the other day at Kettle Top. And then somebody said the crowd did something, not bad, but laughed. And then they said something. And then I saw you take that, spin it, and like do something with it. And I right. was like, Wow and it's just amazing to watch the evolution of somebody and, you know that just comes naturally because when know, i first started got, i'd be like don't you say anything because oh, yeah. i have oh, to yeah. read what's here yeah, stop don't talk see i never <laughs> took a notepad up there i actually uh, would remember my jokes right and then i never took a notepad i'm not knocking by the dust that's right. what i'm saying but i was like i have to have this in my skull yeah and and then but the problem is i never did the same joke twice right. or i never did it and Buck used to bust my balls. He's like, dude, get something down. It's like, every time I see you, you have a whole new five minutes here. And I was like, right. It's like, I, I, that's, that's the one of the things that held me back. But now I've gotten into joke writing and help, uh, I write, help write jokes for other people or whatever. And I saw someone do my, my joke and someone got a laugh off of it. I felt more happy for that than if I would have told it. And right. it was so weird because yeah. someone's like, don't you want to do that? And I'm like, I don't want to be, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be on stage. See, I have no problem telling the same joke. I will I will ride that joke till the end of time. I really don't. But you have to come up with new stuff. And so when you have you go to an open mic, you only got five minutes. Obviously, you're not going to do the one you know that works. Dude, five minutes seems like an eternity at times. Yeah, to me, it's just like, oh, God, that's it? That's all I got now? You know, so, you know, it used to be three minutes was an eternity, you know? But, yeah. But, you know, I could go up there and do five, and I could take little pieces. I got, you know, I could see them in my brain. Here's all the little jokes broken down, and here's a new one, here's a new one, here's a new line. This one goes in the front, this one goes in the back, and it it's always kind of evolves, you know, and I'm always writing tags for it, and I'll take the same joke that I've been – I said, you know, I could twist this just a little bit and do it a little bit different. And then how you handle the audience. I was like, you, if somebody said anything to me, I was just like petrified. Yeah. And then, and and that's when I saw you, someone said something, it's like, yeah, I know it's blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, man. And I remember one of like, when I first, somebody said something, I think it was Merlin, um, the night he hosted it one night and, and, uh, he said something when I said something and I was like, yeah, then I said something else and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm comfortable now. So, and I just, it, now that you retired and you, in and you spend a lot of time cause we know Calvin, Devon and right. Kyle. So yeah. is it weird? Not weird, but how's it hanging out with a bunch of young guys? And then like, cause you know, how do I say it? Kyle said it best on Juice's podcast. He said, there's comedians that will laugh at your jokes because they think they want you to think that they're funny. And there's other people that will actually laugh because they care. And one thing I've always been around you, very supportive, very great. And then you always made your rounds around the other comics. And 
and very supportive and that's and that's one reason i've always enjoyed being around you but how is have you noticed any of the ego part of it like because you're going tonight you'll be at gutty's right which is right here in greenwich out the gutty's juice is there i think uh, uh juice was there griffin shower has been there yep buck's been there yep. so has that at your age do you think it makes a difference because you're like yeah i don't really care you know that's actually the part i liked about the best because everybody there is young mm-hmm. and i like being around young kids because they have fresher minds they're open and i was always nervous at first i always thought well nobody's gonna want you know me hanging around first time i went to um over there to anderson to kettle top kyle was just like hey man welcome he had more energy than me and him combined anyways but <laughs> but you know but everybody was so nice yeah yeah no nobody turned me out just looked at me and said uh now that has happened at other places i won't say where but there is egos where they're protecting their turf you know they don't want anybody else to know anything and you're old and you don't know nothing i've been, I've been in the same places yeah no i know yeah but kyle and those guys they were just so friendly to me and he gave me time brought me on his podcast just just treated me great. I was there the night that you got you did the 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. I was there that yeah. night, and I was like, holy shit, he's getting 15 minutes, that's all. And because I, I sent a text to someone earlier um, that's having some success right now and a different something else, and I was like, dude, I'm so glad you're getting all this love. Yeah. And I actually meant it because if you're in some kind of, I don't know, if, if, you're, in, if you're in, I don't want to say social media world, but if you're in like comedy or podcasting or entertainment it's it's like there's a lot of it's easily to hate on people and be like oh they're not that funny and i'm right. just like right and it and it's what really it's what really bothers me is that so and, and i and i noticed maybe that's why you know a lot of people I, I do spend time with is like we try to grow try try to be in an environment to grow right because everybody wants to make it big right i mean i, I actually don't want to be famous it scares the shit out of me and you know i'm realistic i'm 64 years old i'm not going to go anywhere i'm going to get a certain amount of being able to do a feature at gettys that's great be able to do 15 20 at kettle top that's fine and i can accept that role you know but i look at a lot of these young kids around here today and they're the ones i talking about are pretty nice you know i can see a future for them in comedy yeah some of the guys here at andy there's some guys who are and we've mentioned a couple of them they're they got a shot at it. I really believe that wholeheartedly because they're young enough, they're smart, they look good on stage, they write their butts off, and you know I know one of them, Griffin, he goes to a mic about every night of the week. You you know me and Griffin are from the same hometown. Oh really? We're both from Seymour. Oh okay. I mean I'm way older than his yeah. his creepy little ass. Yeah. That's why I call him because. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, because he's so creepy and weird, and the way he does it. Because I was at uh, Rain Tree Inn with those guys last Saturday. Yeah, a big show there. Yeah, yeah. I was watching those guys and and watching Griffith just <laughs> telling people that they're stupid, and then they sit there and he's like, "I'm just kidding," and I'm just dying laughing. I've I've had I got to do a lot of shows with Griffith. We did one not too far from here, the um, something fest. It's a hippie marijuana fest thing that they have not too far from here i forgot the name of yeah, it. yeah i don't know what that one is uh, Buckfest or something like that. yes i know you're talking about yes yeah yep. mm-hmm. well we both jerry goble asked both of us to come there and do comedy the first time and it was a terrible show terrible setup and uh 
they had all these people up there, and they go into this big crying prayer because all these people had died and everything that used to go there. And they're going on and on and on. Then they turn around and say, okay, now time for the comedy. First up, Griffin Shire Griffin's gone on crap. <laughs> so he's had to walk into some bad things. But, you know, I saw him probably one of the first times he'd ever did comedy at, at Kettletop. His eyes were about as big as silver dollars, you know, just standing there, just, you know, you could tell he was scared, you know, like the rest of us. He got through it, and now I watch him today, and it's just like, oh, man. Yeah, I think I remember that one of the first times he did it because he started talking about um, didn't know if he was gay or something like that, or how do you know if you're gay or not or whatever, and I was just like, where's it going? <laughs> and then and some people don't know how to take him at times, and that's why it's so great. Yeah, and he, I, I could see him, you know, he, he puts the effort in. Yeah, I mean, he puts the miles in. He's smart. He's a writer. He's a journalist major over there at Ball State. So he has the skills to do what he has to do. And it'd be interesting to watch his career take off. Yeah, know? he's one of my favorites. I oh, mean, yeah. Because it was Calvin Devon, um, Griffith, uh, Kyle Buck, Brody Miller. Oh, yeah, Brody. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I think that's the only ones. And Juice hosted, sorry. And then Juice hosted, so. Right. Um, and it was a weird – it was weird because um, – they could still smoke in that place. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So my wife wasn't real happy. And it, it, it was had like uh, the makings of like, and it was weird. It's because this comedy show was over and it's like, all right, band starting in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I was just like, it was just, a, it was a, a great experience to go out there. And because and that's, that's, um, because now before when I first came to, I moved in Indy, Greenwood, whatever, in 2002. Mm-hmm. so and i didn't know i knew of everybody knew of crackers i guess and then right. but i didn't know about in morty's or maybe but yeah. i didn't know about like now there's like red curb and then there's like red flag and then there's kettle there's like so much comedy nice, going yeah. on i did morty's um twice and i really liked i was really comfortable there i did they had this show 10 at 10 it was on thursday nights after the thursday night show they would bring in comedians and you would get to do um I'm not sure if it was 10 minutes or five minutes or three minutes or something like that, but I got to go up at Morty's and do it. And that was one of the first clubs I did, and I really liked it. It was really neat. And then, of course, it went under, so that was the end of that. Yeah, because there's also Helium now. Yeah, now um, Helium's a big big yeah. dog in the park there. Yeah, and, 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 and that's good. It, and that's good because we just need, because that's why we named our thing Flyover Media because we felt like a lot of things. You know, we Indiana didn't get to respect, get, didn't right. get to respect, and then certain comedians like you know Bill Burr is going to be at the old National Center. All right. And before you didn't really see too many of these guys, too many of these people coming around. Yeah. So is we, there? Yeah, we saw Steve Martin and Martin Short there. Did you? Yeah, a year, year and a half ago. How was that? That was. Um, it was funny because you know, of course, they're legends and. Uh, Martin Short's really animated. He was all over the place, you know. He's and Steve was pretty more stoic, you know, just being the straight guy. But then he played his banjo a lot, and his band was there, and so he played with his band a lot. And that guy is so talented on the banjo. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching those guys growing up on Saturday Night Live, and then obviously Martin and and him and um, um, three amigos. Yeah, three amigos <laughs> and those guys. Is there anybody now? comedian wise that you're like wow they're one of my favorites on the national scene uh dave chappelle oh absolutely i love dave chappelle just something about him he's just i like a no nonsense guy that's going to go out there and just tell it as it is he goes he doesn't care who it is he's going after him you know so i i love that about him um god who else is out there that i like 
I still like uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and even though he's just weird and creepy and old <laughs> like I am. We're actually almost the same age. <laughs> yeah, because I saw him. Last time I saw him, I was watching David Tell and uh, Jeff Ross do what's called bumping mics or whatever. Yeah. And they brought him up on stage to make fun of him. Yeah. And, and then I was like, wow, he is. I don't want to say he looked old, but you you don't realize, oh. you know, because the comedy clubs are not make that all make up up or whatever. Oh, and oh, yeah. David tells one of my favorite from because he used to be on Comedy Central where he used to walk around at night and smoke right. cigarettes and do stuff. Right. He was one of my favorites. Bill Burr, probably. I like Bill Burr a lot. He's um, very funny. I got to watch Burt Crusher live. Uh, thanks to Calvin for that. He took me down to Bloomington show. Oh, okay. When he was um, he was working on his stuff for the Netflix special. Right. And he was he was working through his stuff like it wasn't he was telling jokes. But he was like, well, what do you think about this? And and like it was just watching this process. And it was just like it was amazing. And yeah. we got to meet him afterwards. So um, I watch a lot of I watch a lot of comedy because it's I think it's the most difficult, intimate thing you can do. Besides, if you're playing acoustic guitar by yeah. yourself with no band. The thing about comedy is, and um, Jeff Jenna said this, and it makes perfect sense. If you're a piano player, you could sit at the piano and practice for hours and hours and hours mm -hmm. and go do a, com a concert. If you're a stand-up comedian, you have to go in front of people. Yep. You can't stand in front of your mirror and do it and be ready for any type of show. And, it, and it's a true statement. It's like this past week I've had the most, you know, I've gone up more this Sunday night. Last Sunday I did, I came here to... Uh, uh, gutties and i did the sunday night uh, sabbath uh tuesday night i went up to south bend and i did uh, the drop wednesday night i went over to 1949 then friday night i had my show here at gutties and i had my show tonight and the podcast so out of the last seven days i've done you know gone up five times yeah you have way too much energy well i i only did it because of the gutty shows yeah because i had i knew come friday night i had to be ready and I, it's like the same point i can't just sit there and practice and go you got to go to mics so when you hit the stage there you're ready to go and that's you know i i want to put it on a good show here it's yeah. important it's a club as far as you know and there's people there there's 40 people there and i want them to be entertained and i don't want them to go yeah you see that old guy boy did he suck a dick <laughs> and it because and you brought up a great point because the hardest part is you don't know what's going to make them laugh oh so i used to we had a pa system where i used to work so we had a speaker and a mic so i'd get to work early and i would practice on it and i would get my rhythm down how i'm going to deliver it but then i get on the stage and like well, you're laughing at the wrong part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then that's where, yeah, you have to get up there and um, and do that. And you could do the same joke in front of people and you get nothing. You go, what the heck happened? You go to another crowd and they're cracking up. <laughs> and that happened to me because, you like, know, and it, yeah. you just don't know. And I think a lot of it is the attitude when you go up there with, you're like, you know what, I'm relaxed. Yeah. So I think I'd be relaxed. So yeah. do you think writing bits is harder or, or writing longer jokes or writing one-liners? Someone asked me that the other day, and I was like, "I was like, well, I think it'd be harder to write longer jokes, right?" And then I, I think the past couple of nights, I've been trying to write like one-liners compared to longer jokes. Right. I'm struggling more with one-liners, not very really one-liners, but two sins and you're done. Yeah. Like I wrote one the other day. It said, "Hey, I ate uh, thirty uh, thirty pack of White Castles on my way here. Uh, the, I don't have a punchline for that. That's just more a cry for help." Yeah. So I was like, "Okay." That, and then I tried. Then I wrote another one. And then, like, I got to try to do a third one. I was like, man, like, I found it a little bit more difficult than, like, going through a whole premise of what I have. Yeah, I was always wanting to write these great 
five minute jokes. Yeah, you know, and that was me. I I'd had this full page of stuff, and then I realized, well, there's no funny until the end, and nobody's going to sit there and listen to you for yeah. five minutes and not laugh. So you got to take five minutes and turn it into fifteen seconds. Yeah, and that's the problem now if if you get the show going and you do quick one quick one quick one quick one and you get near the end then you could do a little bit of a storyline possibly and hey drag them along for a little bit then throw them under the bus at the end or something like that but yeah you got to have those one-liners you got to have the setups you and then you, to be able to set them up to do a long one now obviously at the open mics you can't get away with that one no. You got to do, you got bam, bam, bam. You got to bam them out. Make sure they work. Try the rhythm. Try the wording. Record yourself. Go home. Listen to it. Said, well, that doesn't sound right. Rewrite it again. Throw this word here. Like I had a joke, um, and it was just a matter to me. It, it became funnier when I said, I couldn't make it back to Kokomo on five bucks worth of gas. I changed it around to, with five bucks worth of gas, I can't make it back to Kokomo. Because yeah. Kokomo is a funnier word. Yeah. And you want to end on the funnier word. Not that that's even a funny joke, but it's just the idea of that you got to position the words correctly. Yeah. And that's one thing that the, the structure of it, and because it's it, the, the hardest part for me to get used to is like if I tell a joke or if I'm doing a joke or doing whatever, and like the part I think is funny and they don't think it's funny. And I'm like, it, I'm like, wait a second. Like that's, no, that's funny to me. And you're like, Oh yeah. But you're four blonde women in the front row. So you're not going to yeah. like the thing. Oh yeah. So, so you don't find that abortion joke funny. Yeah. Like I did a My joke. And the guy looked at me, he says, is that supposed to be funny? <laughs> and I, I just looked at, it and I said, well, yeah, but I guess it's just sad. <laughs> theoretically, theoretically, that's supposed to be funny, funny, but it's ironic. Maybe it's ironic, and you don't get irony. You know, I don't know. And the weird part is when you're doing some open mics and you have people in the front row, and you're like, "Why are you sitting in the front row?" Oh, you're not, and they're just looking at you with resting bitch like face. This. Yeah, they like, don't. They don't want you to be funny. They don't, like, don't, don't say. Don't say anything about women. And like, mm -hmm. well, that's why kettle top's so great. Everybody's yeah. supportive. The audience that's there, which is always an audience that's supportive, the comedians are yep. most of the time supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, and so everybody laughs, and that's why that's such a great mic. Yeah, and I enjoy doing that one. Yeah. And uh, I got a couple other buddies that run mics. It's just, but like, and that's where that's why I realized, like, in order to be successful, like you just said, you ran through this whole week of gauntlet, and that's yeah. what you have to do, like Griffith does. But like, I was like, I don't. Like, I don't have that time to do it. I have the effort, but, right. like, I'd rather just do this, what I do now, and then produce, and then, and I know, and if you write jokes, you still have to, you still have to go up and work them out right. before you have someone else do it, but I found it a great challenge trying to write jokes for other people. Right. Because to me, it's like, I have to take how I look at things and see if I can give it to you, and you look at it how you look at it. And I have a friend that's like that, and my brother writes jokes too he'll write he'll write out these long premises and stories and send them to me he says take something out of this if you think and i could take it and i could see where the funny part is and pull it out and make a little joke out of it you know yeah. something like that so that's neat he's not necessarily a joke writer but you know he that's what and i got another friend who likes to write jokes but he gets really dirty and i said i can't do that it's just not it's not me and that's not the direction i'm going i made a conscious effort to work clean and I'm gonna keep, you know, stay on that same road. No, and I agree with you now because it's it's weird. It's because I've seen some people do like I'm awkward. I say awkward things because I like to get a reaction out of people. Right. But you got to know your audience. Too. Oh yeah. Not everybody fine. Like I said, but, the, the place to be over there in Muncie. Yeah. You, you could go off and just 
do just about anything and they'll love it and if i go drop it an f-bomb these kids just ate it up they just thought it's funny grandpa's saying fuck grandpa's (laughs) saying fuck again and they're laughing their ass so i knew i could that was a cheesy way of getting them laughing but i i would use it i wasn't beyond that no everybody likes a cheap pop (laughs) we all do that yeah i mean because the main thing is is we want people to leave there and and just have a good time yeah but it's it's hard though because it's such a hard art to do and i know drawing's hard other things are very difficult but taking something from your head or putting on paper go up there put a structure and be like hey laugh at this yeah and then if they don't i mean you know a lot of people have probably done a couple times and and part were funny great people but that didn't go as well and they just stopped doing it oh yeah there's a lot of people that came in and out of it you know but you're right though it's like me i i think i'm a frustrated artist i would love to be able to draw paint sing play a musical instrument but i don't have any of those abilities yeah i don't, so, I don't either so this works out for me pretty good so far you Make, know making fun of people is about the only gift that god gave me being quick-witted <laughs> yeah but also being named bj from birth uh-huh that definitely helped first time i did stand up uh, open mic in dallas when i was working for 7-eleven i would do it because i didn't want anybody because i didn't want anybody to know because i'm like what are you doing that for and i remember like walking the stage bj robbins like hey blowjob and i was like hey like i told you wait till after the show yeah yeah geez. and then right there i started to calm down because there is easier because nobody knew me but like when you we were started it was ap myself and then like juices up so all these people knew each other right and i think that's what was more nerve-wracking yeah because they have expectations well, see somebody said that to me said well bring all your friends i said are you fucking no. kidding i said i don't want anybody in that room to know me no because i could just walk out and leave yeah yeah, yeah you could just yeah just like, thanks guys i'm out of here yeah, my wife didn't see my wife has seen me twice and I don't know how many shows I've done over the almost three years now. She's only seen me twice. I said, well, you think she's a, yeah, you were okay. And that was about all I get out of her. So, <laughs> uh, we, uh, yeah, I mean, it was me and my wife and AP, AP, we were on, me and AP were on FaceTime, I think last night or night before. And it was me and my wife and him talking. And I was like, do you even think I'm funny? She's like, yeah, <laughs> our, our, our humor is different. And I'm like, and I'm like, all these other people over here find me funny. Yeah. But you don't find me funny, but you find someone getting hit in the balls funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that is good. That is funny. Like American Home <laughs> Videos is funny. So so when you told your wife you are going to do stand-up, how'd she take that? Oh, she – oh. Oh, man, that that almost got into a fight there. Really? Oh, yeah, because she looked at me and she says, you don't have five minutes of material. I said, well, you're not going to find out either. Wow. <laughs> and off I went. Thanks, start, thanks, start, for the, thanks for the support. Thanks for the support. Oh, she's not a supportive one, I'll tell you. I love her. <laughs> We've been married 36 years, but she's not going to give me any support at all. You know, So I walked out and did it, but now she's supportive of me. She understands what I'm doing. And every time I come home, when I'm leaving, it's have a great show, do good. When I come home, how'd the show go? You know, did, you know, and I, if it was a good show, she gets tired because i yak your ear off if it wasn't so great just say that it's all right (laughs) have you have you ever worked her into your act oh yeah oh i got one of my best dirty jokes about her i i I, I thought i remembered yeah yeah that was i i still i brought that out of retirement for kyle not too long ago because he always liked that joke it was the one about me catching her in bed with the next door neighbor yeah (laughs) yeah the girl on girl on girl on midget porn yeah yeah I had to drop that joke because I actually did it one night, and there was a midget that was headlining the show. Oh, my god. And goodness. when I said midget, the whole crowd just turned on me. Oh, my God. I thought, oh, shit. Did, he say, did they say anything Did he say anything to you afterwards? Oh, uh, It's a female. Female, does she? I asked permission to do it before I did. Okay. And she bowled around for about 30 minutes and said, yeah, go ahead. 
Wow. And then later I was like, you know what? Fuck you. You do shit that, you know, you do nasty shit. And uh, so, you know, fuck that. I'm just going to say whatever You draw attention to yourself in other yeah. ways. So. And, I, and, you know, and that's fine. I respect her for being a comedian and all. But I, I really dropped that joke because it was too harsh to do. But if I'm at kettle top or someplace that doesn't care i'll pull it out every once in a while just yeah. to change it up that's always a good joke that's always a good joke to do oh yeah i did i did one with my wife in the audience and, and it's where i created fart soap oh okay so basically because we have three bathrooms in our house my wife always in the morning when i'm taking a shower goes to the warmest one which is the one with the shower she always sits down and uses the you know use the restroom and she always allow a little fart and i'm like man we I'm like, we have three bathrooms. Why do you come to this one? She's like, it's warm, and you'd be washing your face, and you just smell the smell. The, the fart in the soap. That didn't go over yeah. as well as I thought. And then in the household, actually, my clean ending is about her too. It's about when we the first date we went out on. Yeah, you know, so you know, she's in my she's in my you know obviously in my routine in a couple of places so. yeah i got two teenage boys and and they're just great full of material oh yeah football players i seen the pictures yeah yeah one of my uh and they're both they're i call them um sub, suburban i said i've made it as a parent because i'm raising suburbanite douchebags <laughs> and i was like ma i call my mom i was like mom i made it she's like you mean it's like my sons are douchebags she's like that's not good it's like no suburbanite douchebags <laughs> Those are better. Like they're bitching about which iPhone they have. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, you know, they're bitching over whatever. Or, or life is so rough. Stuff being a millennial. And they're hilarious. And they're just funny kids. And my wife's a funny person too. And uh, and it's it's funny to always have support. So and um, we're gonna wrap up here. All right. So you're going. You're gutties. Obviously, this uh, this past weekend you're gutties because this comes out yeah. Monday. Yeah. So do you have any any other sh- anything else coming up here soon? Um, not right away. Everything's kind of right after this. I'm, it's going to quiet down a little bit. I'll be going up to the drop again. I'll be doing a kettle top, of course, soon. 1949. Uh, those are my three. Are you going to get kettle, uh, kettle top this Wednesday? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I well, might get it this Wednesday. Well, I'm going to see if, if Devon, cause I have, a, I have my other job. Like I told you, I have a store up there that right. I over or whatever. So I was like, if I don't know what day those guys are going to record, if they're going to come down Wednesday or what they're going to do. If they do, then I then I always make that now that on the weeks that we are up there, and then like I always stay up there and and uh, go up there and and see those guys. Especially, I mean, that gives me a chance to see Calvin, Devon, Kyle, and then I don't know if Juice will go up or not um, to watch those guys because right. watch all those guys evolve and everything like that. Oh yeah. Uh, those guys did very well on last. They did well on Saturday. and They did well on Wednesday. So uh, it's it's weird. It's weird seeing people evolve because you never know where they're at. Then you see them later. Like wow, they got a lot better. Yeah, and plus weeks like weeks after this, like I did five shows. A lot of times I'll just say, you know, I'm going to take a take a little time off, just rest my brain. I'll get back to writing again because my writing. I'll either writing all the time or I just stop and I write nothing. So, you know, it comes and goes with that, me. That's what, that's how it works for me. Is sometimes yeah. it's like things are flying, and other times I'm like, hey, I just need to write. Yeah. Like nothing's going on. Well, besides comedy, now that you're tired, what else do you do for fun? Um, I bowl. I'm a bowler. I never got into bowling. Yeah, I, I've bowled since I was a kid. My dad got me into it when I was about ten years old. He took it up, so I had to take it up with him. So you have your own ball, right? Oh, I've got several. 
of course. You got closets full of bowling balls everywhere. Do you have a bag with your name on it? No, no name on it, but I got several bags laying around. I actually, I got a locker at the bowling alley, so I don't have to carry it around anymore, so it's just easier. You almost you almost, almost stayed really high with me. Until? Until then, right there. Until the locker? Until the, no, no, until the whole bowling. Oh, okay. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> actually, I enjoy bowling, but I had wrist surgery on my right hand. Oh, okay. And I'm right-handed, so yeah. and it sucks is because after like three or four rolls. Yeah. So really. you could do that whole little... Well, the balls are actually engineered with weight blocks in them, and they're drilled. And really, all you got to do is stay behind and just lift with the fingers. You don't have to roll the wrist or do anything anymore. Wow. The balls will hook automatically for you. It's like golf. I also play golf during the summer. I love golf. And all the equipment's there to just help you play better. So it's all evolved, you know. What's some of your is there? Do you have a favorite course around here to play? Um. Well, up north in Peru, we got a um, stone. What's the name of that? God, I forgot up there rock hollow oh i've heard of rock hollow. absolutely yeah. yeah that's um chris smith who was on the pga tour his family owns it and if you want a challenge that's the course to go to go i actually live on a golf course green acres okay yeah there, it's a neighborhood with a golf course in it that is unfortunately under duress right now because of financial situations and things like that that's so never good we're hoping to save it but it's hard to say we uh i i play um now you made me forget why. Where is that? So uh, it's Stones Crossing. Yeah. No, uh, cricket. Cricket. Uh, cricket stick. Yeah. Cricket stick. Yeah, I played cricket stick before. Beautiful course. Me and uh, that's that's the reason we started a podcast because me and AP AP had got some tickets or gift cards to play golf, so we started playing golf. Right. And, so, and, we, and I was like, dude, fuck this. Let's go start a podcast. Because <laughs> I was like, I was like the next day because he's had a bunch of. We used to play softball together. Then we're like, dude, let's just play golf. And then the next day, I was like, dude, we're way too hard on our bodies still. Because then we started the podcast. But I still enjoy playing golf. I really, really enjoy yeah. playing golf. Because it's the one sport that where you can have eight shitty holes. You get that one on the ninth or 18th, and <laughs> hit, you're like, I'll be back. And one, one shot is all it takes, yeah. I've actually, since I had shoulder surgery and wrist surgery and then um, had a, I have a degenerate disc in my back, my swing has slowed down a lot probably a lot better now so i club up oh yeah right yeah. and then because i would always like oh i can hit this whatever just rip as hard as you can yeah and then now i club now i uh, club yeah. uh club up and then take a nicer swing and, and then yeah you got so much more control and at my obviously when i was younger i used to try to swing as hard as i could you know i was a little fire grip you know, and little, rip it i was a little fire plug down there swinging as hard as i can now i'm just i try to go real smooth just I'm going to put it to here, then I'm going to put it to there, and then I'm going to drop it in. Do you have a wedge that covers all your irons? Um, one of my friends who taught, helped teach make me better golfer named Fred, he had this, I don't know, it was like a three, four, five, it was like a three, four, five, two, three, four, five combined, mm -hmm. and it, had, it was like 21 or 27 degrees, and it took care of his fairway iron so he would just use that wood it wasn't like because three wood was too much but it was yeah i used it once and i said what is he said that's the old man club i yeah. said what do you mean he's like it takes care of that i don't have to use an iron yeah so he's hitting him like 275 with his driver yeah. then he's hitting us another one i'm just like yeah. and it was really expensive and i always ask is like i don't have anything like that in my bag but yeah i, I know what you're talking about but i like my driver i like my i got a rescue wood i got a real good three wood i got tailor-made equipment which i like so i use tommy uh tommy armor tommy armor yep um funny funny golf story so fred so i fred was helping he we he uh southern dunes is where he lives at okay. golf course it's uh -huh. off wicker in 37 
So they have a lot of water there. Like there's a cliff and then obviously where you tee off at, it's pretty cool looking or whatever. And I'm having a bad day. I'm our and I don't drink now. Not that I had a problem. I always have to say that, but I'm two two or three crown and cokes in because I'm having that <laughs> bad of a day. Just piss poor day. He's like, BJ, let me see your ball. And I was like, he's like, what are you hitting? I thought he was gonna give me one of his, you know, nicer ball because he's like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm hitting this tailor made or whatever. He's like, all right, and he just threw it in the water. And he's like, get in a cart. I just saved you a swing. <laughs> Oh, that's cold. That's cold. I got in a cart and got, I was like, what? I was so beat up on that day. Yeah, where I live, I'm on the number two hole, and I'm on the right-hand side up on a hill. Yeah. And I haven't bought a golf ball in over 20 years. Oh, wow. I, I could imagine. I just, every time I mowed, I just go up there. And I, it's like an Easter egg hunt. I pick up three, four balls every time I mow. And then I go out in the yard just to walk around. I'm just picking up balls all the time in the woods and everything. So I never had to buy any. So That's awesome. So golfing, comedy, bowling. Bowling, yep. You sure you weren't born in the Midwest? I, I should have been, man. Because I, that's some Midwest shit right there. I, I think I was meant to be here, so. So that's awesome. No, like I said, as I'm glad you came down, is like, is because I knew you were from California. You had this cool story. You retired. You started doing comedy. And like, you by far one of the nicest guys of comedy. I've oh, met. thank you very much. I appreciate and, that. And, it, and it's hilarious to always come down. And like I said, as you're part of that little group that we all know so if people want to find out where you were going to be is there a social media site do you know how social media works doug no i don't <laughs> could you explain that to me <laughs> I don't they even can know. call me on my phone i got the <laughs> i got the dial phone if you call john down there at the bar no, just leave know, a message they can follow me on facebook yep. you know i'll usually if i'm going to be somewhere it'll be on facebook you know if i got a real show coming up i'll i'll always publish shows even if i'm not on them if guys are putting out shows yeah. i i always forward them out and let everybody know we need to get you on tiktok what's that exactly there we go <laughs> tiktok will get you arrested all right because <laughs> uh, one of the comedians a couple people i know they had their they started a tiktok account it's like a little 13 second video and like i started scrolling through and i was like how are what are these girls and how what are they dancing to <laughs> i was like kind of put my phone down i was like i can't be watching this uh-uh. so i sent them my comedian buddy and i was like dude i just followed you on tiktok what the fuck is this like it's it's like yeah i know it's a bunch of 13 year old girls and i'm like yeah, I know. I'm 39. It's called prison. So I just got hover. <laughs> so, Doug, thanks for stopping by. Oh, thanks for having me, BJ. Uh, it's been a great time. I've uh, get a chance. Go see Doug. He is hilarious, and uh, he is from the great uh, city of Kokomo. Absolutely. So until uh, we see you uh, guys next week. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, the email is the BJ Robbins Project at gmail.com. Facebook is BJ Robbins. Twitter is at the BJ Robbins. Instagram is BJ underscore Robbins. And Snapchat is the BJ Robbins. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to one of those platforms so we can make that happen. Thank you.